0: great meditations on songs that help us meditate on the, the blood of Jesus. And uh, if you turn your Bibles to Leviticus 16, we're going to be thinking this morning about why do we talk about the blood of Jesus? Why think about and meditate on something that seems so violent? Luke chapter 16, uh, or sorry, Leviticus chapter 16, that was a, a brain freeze there. Leviticus chapter 16, or, or maybe hopeful, um, Luke's a little easier sometimes than Leviticus. Um, Leviticus 16, and we're talking about the Day of Atonement, and if uh, you are able to, if you would please stand with me uh, while we read uh, portions of this together. Leviticus 16 is a, a center chapter theologically in this book, and really in all of the Pentateuch. We've read about the laws for holiness and And here in verse 1, we read this The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the arks, that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have on the linen undergarment on his body and he, shall not, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on and he shall take from the congregation the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make his make atonement for himself and for his house, then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel, and some of your translations there may say scapegoat. We'll talk more about that as we go on. Verse 11, Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat. On the east side and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. I'm going to continue reading, but you may be seated. Verse 15, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins, and so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out and has made atonement for himself, and for his house, and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of, and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all round and. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Verse 20 And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat. And send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering to the people. And make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering. Whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves, it is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing his holy linen garment. garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of, the, of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And you come into chapter 17, it describes where sacrifices are to be made. And then in verse 10 of 17, it says, if anyone of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Then verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life therefore i have said to the people of israel no person among you shall eat blood neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood and father we ask this morning for your grace on us to help us understand uh, these these truths we just agree with what's already been prayed this morning for uh, those who are who are ill we think of uh, just several even of our our pastors this this morning Kent and Ben we pray for their well-being and and he, quick healing we we pray for uh our our church to be growing in grace as we think about your holiness and we pray this in the name of your son Jesus amen wednesday morning it was it was early and i was trying to get a couple things done i was trying to get here to 5 points before A breakfast meeting that I had and so I was kind of trying to gather some stuff together and had had my gym bag in one hand, a glass of water in the other hand I'm drinking and kind of getting a couple things together. I'm I'm behind schedule and so I I open up the car door and I throw in my gym bag and I pull out of the driveway and I begin to to turn right onto Cummings and as as I did so, I I heard this thud and I realized I, I hadn't taken my glass of water off the roof. And I, I, and I wish that was the first time that that had happened, but I think there's like a glass collection there from me. So I i, um, I opened my door, sure enough, glass all over the street, and I, I, I drive the car back to my house. I uh, open up the garage door, grab a big push broom and a dust paint, and I begin to run back out to the street. And I, I realize this is going to be a, a difficult mess to clean up. First of all, just the timing of it—it's about 5:30 in the morning. Not—I can't really see everything perfectly. And I know which neighbors are going to start driving by or walking their dogs by at about 5:30. I can just imagine, you know, neighbors walking by his do- do- dog. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Doug. <laughs> just cleaning the streets. You know, and this thing, these things are filthy. You know. Um, so I, I'm a little nervous about that. I don't really want to explain myself. And, and then uh, it's, 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 it's if, I had, if I had just had a big bag of glass and just began to scatter it throughout the streets, I couldn't have had a wider radius of this glass. It's like I had hit this thing perfectly. And so I'm running down the street trying to find, I, this may not even be from my glass at this point, but I'm trying to get all the glass together. Some of it's kind of in the, in the, in the pavement there, and I'm, I get it into a, a dust pan finally and then I, I, I then I, I've got to put it someplace else and what do I do with all this glass that I have now and I I find I can't find a, a paper sack to put it in so I put it in a plastic bag and then I'm worried that doesn't seem very safe I'm worried about the kids finding this and and uh, so I put it in a plastic bag in a box on top of the trash can then I think oh man they're gonna pull out the trash and then then the trash is going to blow over because of this wind, and then I'm going to have glass all over the street again, and back to square one. Just, it's a mess, right? Compounding errors. We've all had messes that are are difficult to, to really clean up well. Not just sometimes as individuals, but as a community. You think about almost 30 years ago, some of you can remember the Exxon Valdez oil spill, whenever early Early morning, this, this oil tanker hit a reef off the coast of Alaska and 11 million gallons of oil spilled out into the, the ocean there and affected over, I think it was like 1,400 miles of Alaskan coastland. Some of you can remember the, the pictures of people trying to clean that thing up, right? Airplanes flying over the ocean, dropping chemicals designed to disperse the oil you know, t- so many boats just kind of patrolling there, skimming the oil off the water, trying to to burn it, just do everything they could. Thousands and thousands of people with with bags trying to clean up the the oil damaged material. Uh, you you remember pictures of of like navy boats helping people and and these these big fire hoses kind of spraying off the coastline and and some individuals just you know cleaning individual rocks and people grabbing. Otters and, and birds and, and cleaning those those poor animals off, hundreds of thousands of animals died in that spill. Now, if you go to that area today i'm told that it, that it looks that it looks very clean, and yet still, decades later, they believe there's some twenty five thousand gallons of oil still still affecting that that physical environment. You go to some areas and, and you take a shovel and you, and again, it looks, everything looks pristine, but you take a shovel and you just dig down a few inches and, and find oil. And not, not in the good, like, Beverly Hillbilly's Jed Clampett way, like, <laughs> in a bad way. It's, it's toxic. It's, it's affecting the environment. Some messes are, are hard to clean up. They, they permeate. They, they pollute. Some of them are individual, and, and we've experienced things are hard to clean. Some of them are environmental. Now, this morning, what we're talking about is, is sin, And sin's polluting effect and the difficulty of of truly cleaning sin and and dealing with sin. And as I talk about this this morning, some of you are acutely aware of the effect of sin in your life. Here in Leviticus 16 and 17, these are are pivotal chapters in the book. They're the center of the book theologically. They describe the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the, the, the day of atonement. These are very helpful passages for us as we prepare to talk about holiness and sexuality in the coming chapters. In fact, some of you have asked me, said, you know, Daniel, you said PG-13, uh, a little worried. What, what does that mean? And, and maybe I was exaggerating a little bit for effect, but, but we're not going to be talking about anything that, that would, um, the words I'm using are not going to be like, Teaching your children something they, they wouldn't have known right I, I maybe I may be using some words that you understand and maybe some words your children don't they may ask you some questions but but uh, don't don't worry too much I just want you to be aware of some of the the subject matter of what we're talking about but also I just just kind of a a, a caution or a, um, a, a an awareness you know some of the things that we're going to be talking about deal with how uh, how sexuality is violated by, by people who are not in right relationship with God and how God views that. And I, I know that in a, a church of our size, and in, in talking with some of you, some of you have, have experienced the, the fallenness of the world in this area in, in many ways. And so I, I just want you to be um, prepared. And some of you have experienced, um, have experienced the, the fallenness of this world in some very tragic ways. And I want you to, to think, you know, some, some people might say, you know what, I don't know if I can, can handle a conversation like this in a church service. Maybe I need to kind of listen to this my own. I just want you to be, I just, just want there to be an awareness of that. And that's, and that's okay, right? Wherever God has you in that journey. But this morning, the, the central idea that I want us to grasp as we begin to go into that, as we look at, at Leviticus 16, is, is this. In Christ, in Christ sin, that the pollution from sin is dealt with more completely, more profoundly than we can even fathom at this moment. In Christ, sin, that the pollution from sin, in Christ, sin is dealt with more completely than you and I can even grasp. And that should be an encouraging thing to you this morning. The way I want to talk through this is, first of all, I just want to talk about the problem And then I want us to see the solution. So let's first talk about the problem. What is the problem? The problem we see is that sin pollutes everything. The problem we see as we think about Leviticus 16 and what's happening in the book of Leviticus is that sin pollutes everything. I mentioned this last week. Let me just kind of remind you of what is happening here in the book of Leviticus, remember what happened as we came to the end of Exodus. There's been the sin of the worship of the golden calf, and there's a a fear that God will not go with the people into the promised land. And and remember what Moses says. Moses says, look, God, if if you're not going to go with us into the promised land, into this land that you've told us you're going to give us, you're just going to send us there without your presence. We don't want to go. What What is it about us that that makes us special? It's nothing intrinsic to to ourselves. The thing that makes us special, the thing that gives us hope, is that you are with us. And apart from you being with us, we don't want to be there. God says, look, I'll go with you. And yet what God has said earlier is, is still true. There is a danger that God will consume them because of his holiness and their sin. There's this description of the tabernacle being built in the book of Exodus to allow the people to enter into God's presence for him to dwell with them. But even as you come to the end of the book of of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 40, it says that, that even Moses is not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, how in the world are our sinful people going to dwell in God's presence? How are they going to have the holiness necessary To to dwell in in nearness with God. For the Israelite, they understood that that sin polluted. They understood that that sin polluted them personally as they looked at the law and they they saw the the rituals of purity. They recognized that not only could they could they not keep themselves ritually pure, but they recognized what those rituals were, were showing them that they couldn't keep themselves morally pure. And as there was an awareness that they themselves couldn't be obedient to God and live the holy lives that they were supposed to live, there was also an awareness that they as a community were unable to do so. There was an awareness that the people of Israel had through the sacrificial system, through the the, uh, rituals of purity, there was a recognition that they as a people were not holy, that sin had polluted the community. There was an awareness that sin also had polluted the environment, that sin had affected and polluted just even where they were physically. Remember, as we were talking about the different sacrifices and we talked about the sin offering and how the sin offering was a cleansing offering, we talked about the idea of how, how material things could be affected by the, the immaterial world. So, for example, you're... We talked about how you could listen to a song. As you're listening to a song, it's a, it's a, a physical thing. Your ears are physically listening to a song, and yet it affects you on an immaterial level. It affects you emotionally. You remember, you know, oh, that's the song that's a song that was played on our wedding day, or that's the song that girl in, uh, in my freshman year broke up to me while I was listening to that song. And you know, there's an emotional response you have to, to something that's physical. It affects you on an immaterial level. Or you you go into the house that you grew up. and you say, oh that's the that's the living room and oh they're, they're, you go into this this physical place and there's 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 it affects you on an emotional and, and and even spiritually there's there's an effect there. When our kids and and Whitney and I were in New York City, of course we went to the nine eleven memorial and we we stood at, at the church kind of looking across the street and. And just just being there, we began to de- describe to our children who were too young to have remembered September 11th, 2001. We began to describe to them, remind them of what happened on that day, and and we re- we told them about the, the people who had died, and we, we told them about the people run, the, the men and women, especially the emergency responders running into a, a, a burning these these burning buildings. And as we stood there on that location, it. It affected Whitney and I on an emotional level. We began to cry as we communicated to the the children what had happened in in this physical place. Now for the Israelites, what did they understand? They understood that sin pollutes everything. There is an awareness that they were affected personally by sin. There was an awareness that the community was affected by sin. And there was an awareness that the place in which they resided was affected by sin. Even the holy place. Even the tabernacle. Sin pollutes everything. There needed to be atonement. There needed to be a recognition of sin and a desire to deal with it. And so in this chapter, that's what's taking place. Now, how does this apply to you and me? Sin pollutes everything in our lives as well. Our physical environment is affected by sin, right? Now, I don't want to get too too mystical here. I know sometimes people think, well, you know, I something bad has happened in my house and so I needed to pray over each room and I need to do this and I to do that I, you know I, we don't see any instruction of that in, in scripture and yet there is a reality that we are affected by the the location in which we live and as we we walk down a street and we see signs of living in a fallen world there's an awareness of sin in our in our environment you go to a, a we were you know, we were on vacation we, we went to a restaurant and and Ellie, uh, who shares my uh, affinity for cleanness, uh, you know, she sat down at the table and she put her hand underneath the table. And she said, "Dad, you do not want to look under this table. Um, there's sin. <laughs> you know, there's there's polluting. You know, there's 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 pollution here. Everywhere we look, we we're a, there's an awareness that this is a fallen world. I on, on every day as I as I drive through." The intersection of 24 and Cummings, there, there are two crosses there where, that, that are markers of where our neighbors lost their lives in, in a car accident. What is it? There's, there's an awareness that this location is a location that has been affected by sin, right? By living in a fallen world. Your relationships, this community is affected by sin. Sin pollutes and affects our relationships, its presence in our, our relationship with our friends and family. You think about the, the, the relationships you have, and even in relationships that are good, that are very dear to you, there's, there's, there's mourning as you recognize the presence of, of sin and how it's affected how you relate to one another. You think about the marriage relationship, and, and I believe that my relationship with my wife is is stronger now and is, is sweeter now than it has ever been at any point in our, our years of, of dating or marriage. And yet, even today, as I think about my relationship with my wife, there is a sense of mourning. I, I wish that, you know, several years ago I hadn't said this, or I wish I'd been more, uh, uh, more involved in, at this moment in our lives. And how, you know, there's just A sense of mourning as I recognize my sin, my sin has affected someone I love so dearly. Sin pollutes everything. And sin pollutes not just my environment, not just my relationships, but but me. It permeates me, affects me. How? How? How does sin seem so powerful and permeating in, in our lives this morning? One, one time, a pastor recommended to me, as, as me and another person were doing some counseling together, he recommended that we, we write out um, all the way this, this person's sin had affected themselves and other people. And as, as they wrote out, Maybe 15 things, there's whereas just the surface had been scratched, right? How, how does sin affect me personally? How is sin powerful in your life this morning? Maybe some of you this morning, as you think about sin, as you think about maybe words that you've spoken, actions you've done, things that have happened in your life, maybe sin seems powerful because this morning, even as you sit in church, there is a, a sense of guilt. Sin still seems powerful and permeating because you have a sense of guilt this morning. Or maybe you you, have, you see the, the power of sin this morning in that you can't stop thinking about other people's sin against you. And so sin in your life this morning is polluting you because there's a, a person who's a brother or sister in Christ. And yet this morning, even while you're in church, you, if, you, if that person were to be right in front of you, maybe they are, maybe they're right beside you, nudge them if it is them. Uh, there, there's just an awareness, I'm, I'm affected by their sin. There's a lot of nudging going on. I'm affected by their sin. Sin is powerful in our relationship. Sin is powerful in this relationship. I'm affected by it this morning. Or maybe sin is powerful in in, in your life this morning because, and, and maybe this is the most scary, maybe sin is powerful in your life because even this morning as you think about your sin, your thought is, I still enjoy it even as I'm talking about this sin that entangles me, that is powerful, that I know pollutes my life, it, I, I still want it. The, the sin that pollutes this relationship because the, the sin of bitterness, I do not want to give that up. Sin is, is powerful, it, it, it pollutes. There's an awareness of that by the Israelites, there should be an awareness of that in us. Alec on his uh, Facebook page uh, yesterday, or I saw it yesterday, he had, he had a, uh, a talk that he had posted from a, an EMT. And the EMT was was talking about how uh, things, he, things he notices as he talks to people who are about to die. He, he talked about how he used to lie to people to comfort them if he knew they were about to die, but he decided to, to be truthful with a, a person who was on the the, the doorstep of death and say, yeah, you, you are going to die and, and there's nothing I can do to, to save you if, if they asked him. And he said there were several things that he, he noticed, patterns that he noticed in almost all the people who face death, who are aware that death is coming. And, and the first thing that he noticed was this. He said, and most people, he noticed, regardless of their cultural background, regardless of their religious background, Almost all people have a sense of guilt and need for forgiveness. Isn't that interesting? No matter what culture you come from, no matter uh, what your religious beliefs are, as you recognize that your life is coming to an end, what is there for most people? There's thoughts about sin, even if you're not willing to call it sin, an awareness. I have been affected by the wrong things that I've done, and I need them dealt with. I need forgiveness. Sin pollutes everything, it permeates lives. What's the solution? What's the solution? Here's the solution we see in the text the solution is an atoning sacrifice the solution we see there in Leviticus 17 is an atoning sacrifice. Go ahead and put up the, the next one there and we'll, we'll look at, let me, let me show you a couple things here. The solution is an atoning sacrifice. Now uh, look, look here at the text and as you look at the text, you see that there are several animals described here in this, this process of sacrificing. So go ahead and look, let's, let's, let's look, at these, uh, look at these animals. So first of all, as you begin chapter 16, the, the Lord is, is telling Aaron, and again, notice the context here. We're re- reminded of the sin of his sons and, and their death as they offered a strange fire before the Lord. But he says, uh, beginning in verse 3, he says, Aaron shall come to the holy place. And uh, the first thing is, there's, there's two things that he's supposed to bring. So you see, those two things are on uh, the, the left side, your left side there. There's a bull he's to bring and the bull is for a sin offering remember a sin offering is like a cleansing offering and then the second animal that he's to bring is a ram for a burnt offering and then as, as you go on you see that there are some animals that he's to bring from the people he's to bring to a, a ram and, and two goats from the people. and you see those on the right side of the screen. And verses six through ten kind of d- describe kind of the, the layout of, of how this this takes place. So he's going to he's going to offer this this bull, his bull, the, that one on the top left hand side of the screen. He's going to offer that for his sin offering to make atonement for himself and his house, so his, himself. And then, He's going to take the the two goats that the people have given him. He's going to bring the the two goats, and he's going to cast lots or cast dice to decide what happens to which goat. One goat is going to be used as an offering, going to be dedicated to the Lord. And the other goat is, and the ESV translates it, one goat is for Azazel. And what they're doing there is they're saying, we're not quite sure... What this is saying. So we're just. This is the Hebrew word using some English letters. Okay. Now, the NIV, I think, and some other translations, the King James uses the phrase scapegoat. I think that's a, a good way to translate. What, what the. What I think is happening here. This this word Azazel is really two Hebrew words kind of joined together. One of the words Az means goat. Zel means to go away. So the, the goat that goes away, essentially. And what happens next? So verse 6 through 10 describes this process. And then in verses 11 through 19, what Aaron is doing is, you notice here there's a, there's a focus on place, a recognition that sin has affected the environment. And so here on this, this Day of Atonement, we rec- they recognize that even the most holy place where God himself dwells has been, or his presence is manifested in a special way, Sin has, been, sin has affected that area. So there's a cleansing of that area, a purifying of the tabernacle. The, it kind of begins there with the, the mercy seat and the holy place and the altar. So you begin the mercy seat in verses 11 through 14. He, he lights incense or uh, brings this incense so that there's, the, the mercy seat is covered in the smoke and he can't see it and be, be, uh, behold the glory of God and, and die he takes the bull remember the bull that he had offered for his sin offering. He takes some of the blood of that bull, and he, he sprinkles it on the mercy seat. Then, we begin in verse 15, he takes one the goat, the goat that had been dedicated to the Lord, the goat that lost, if you will. and he offers that goat as a sin offering. And he takes the, the blood of, of that goat and he, he goes inside, just like he did with the blood of the, the bull for himself, and he sprinkles it over the mercy seat. So there's now blood from the, his sacrifice and blood from the people's sacrifice. And it says that he's making, verse 16, atonement for the holy place. Why? Because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgression and all their sins. Now, chapter 17 tells us you say, boy, this just seems violent. Gross and messy. But what does chapter 17 tell us? Chapter 17 says that, and, and this is, in a, this is a, a, an important way for us to kind of shift our thinking too. These aren't just sacrifices that the people are offering to the Lord. Like, here you go, Lord, here's, here's something nice for you. Chapter 17 says this is, this is God providing a sacrifice for the people. He says in verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. And so as, as the priest, as, as Aaron comes in the most holy place, and he takes the, his bull's blood and sprinkles it on the mercy seat, he's saying, okay, this, this animal's death is, is for me. There's, there's atonement. There's symbolic cleansing of sin and, and recognition that this animal died in my place. Then he takes the the then he takes one of the, the the goat, it's the goat on the right that doesn't make it. He takes that goat and he takes its blood and he, he sprinkles it in the mercy seat and say, okay, this is for the people. That the people are, are sinful. Their sin has affected this place, and, and we're symbolically cleansing it. The, the life of this animal for our lives. Then he does the same thing on other areas of the tabernacle. The, the tent of meeting is affected by sin. He says he's making atonement for the, the holy place, for this, this special place. At verse 17 kind of offers a, a summary. It says no one else can be in here until he comes out and he's made atonement for himself, his house, the assembly of Israel. Then he goes outside. The, the tent, and he goes to the altar. This this altar that's used for the sacrifice, and he does the same thing. He takes his bull's blood, puts it on the altar. Then takes some blood of the the people's goat and puts it on the altar, all round. Then look at verse twenty. So the the bull has been used. The goat on the right is gone. Now he takes the goat on the left, the scapegoat, and he lays his hand on this goat. So the the first goat represents the, the cleansing from sin. Now he lays his hand on the goat and, and he confesses the sin of himself and the people. And then that goat symbolically represents the, the removal of sin from the people from the midst of the people and it goes outside the camp. He goes off in the wilderness. Then there's purification, the part of Aaron and then and those two rams are offered as burnt offerings. Remember, burnt offering is a complete offering. It says that he offers, this verse 24, he offers his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and makes atonement for himself and for the people. And then all the blood, the, the bull, the, the goat on the right, they're all, all that's taken, carried outside the camp. And he said, well, this is a really cool magic ritual, right? You got this problem with sin, and so just, you know, kill this and sprinkle that, and and, and it's done with, right? No, no, no. These are all symbolic acts that are done by faith by people whose whose hearts are right before the Lord. Because look what it says as you go further in the chapter, verse 29. It says, this is a statute to you. It says, You shall afflict yourselves. And so, in other words, what's, what's taking place here is, is not just ritualistic action. Look, okay, I'm gonna, if I offer enough goats, enough bulls, we're good with God and, and we've, we've recovered. It says, No, this is, this is done by people of faith who believe the things that God says about the polluting effects of sin. Psalm 15, David says, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. It says, um, In Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. In other words, in chapter 17 again helps us understand this, that the blood is significant because it represents life. And what the people are saying, by faith, is they're saying, God, we understand our sin has separated us from you. Not only has it affected the land, you know, over in the Old Testament, you read the phrase, defiled the land, polluted the land. Not only has sin polluted the land, not only has it polluted the community, not only is, am I part of this, this sin, but, but even your holy place has been affected by our sin And and now we know that we deserve death. We saw that in Exodus. We know it now. We believe it to be true. And so we're throwing ourselves on you, your mercy and your grace. And we are trusting in this provision that you have promised for us. We're trusting this provision and by faith we're offering these sacrifices. That's the solution that's presented to the Israelites. As we've, saw, as we've gone through the book of Leviticus, we, we've seen that the sacrifices point to Jesus. We've seen that the priestly system points to Jesus. We've seen that the holiness is only fulfilled in Jesus. We see here that this day of atonement, in which these things come together, points to Jesus. What's the solution for us? The solution for you and for me it's an atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It says in, in Leviticus 17, I, I give this, it's a sacrifice I, I give to you now. Now what has been given to you and to me? What does John 3.16 say? He, he, he gave us his only begotten son. Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's there's this provision. And over and over again we see that Christ's cleansing with his blood is far superior to the cleansing of the blood of animals. Hebrews chapter nine, really you could just read Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 on your own if if you'd like and you see this drawn out so beautifully but he just here's a couple excerpts verse 12 Jesus entered once for all into the holy places doesn't this make so much more sense as we've gone through Leviticus he's entered in the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by the means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption verse 14 of Hebrews 9 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? Verse 24 of Hebrews 9 Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but now into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Verse uh, 9 of Romans 5 We've been justified by his blood. Hebrews 2 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This was on the, uh, the the screen in front of us as Lisa played the songs dealing with the blood of Christ. Colossians one verse twenty, through Jesus to through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. First Peter one two, talking about things according to. The, the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Doesn't that make so much more sense now, the, the, the picture there of the, the sprinkling of the blood in Leviticus? Revelation chapter 7 says that the, the, the ones who've come out of the great tribulation are those who've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11, they conquered by the blood of the lamb Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice to cleanses with his blood you know what else he is he's, he's also the scapegoat the goat who bears our sin Isaiah 53 verse says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Matthew twenty, verse twenty eight the Son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a as a ransom, to, to die in our place. John one twenty nine Jesus, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Right, who takes away the sins of the world. What is this? What is this beautiful message about our sin? This beautiful message about our sin is that we have a perfect sacrifice whose blood can cleanse sin a perfect sacrifice who can who can bear sin in a way that no goat or bull ever could. And now there's this there's this divine exchange my unrighteousness for his righteousness. We see this so beautifully described in Scripture, 2 Corinthians five twenty-one: "...for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." 1 Peter chapter 2 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Isn't this such a beautiful thing? And what a, what a wonderful Sunday for us to talk about this on, because just just mere hour or so ago, we, we saw through vivid imagery this, this picture of identity in Christ and dying with him and being raised from the dead in Christ How can we do that? How can we be baptized in this this person's name? Because he's our perfect sacrifice. And in him, we've died and live again. Now, you say, Daniel, I don't know, man. I don't know. Can Jesus really save to this degree? He doesn't know he doesn't know how deep my sin is. I, I understand theoretically that he could do this for, for so-and-so or such-and-such, but can he do this for me? Or, Daniel, can this happen for me? Because do you really understand the, the depth of pain I feel as I consider other people's sin against me? Is it possible, as I think about the, the polluting effect of sin in my life, Daniel, is it possible that Jesus can cleanse to this degree, and you say to yourself, "I doubt it." I just want to just want to draw a couple more pictures for you to think about. And some of this, I, I I mentioned this over the week. Some of this this application was brought to my mind by uh, the Bible Project, and I encourage you to watch some of those videos if you haven't already. But, but some of this was this application was kind of just really, I thought they did a good job describing it, but, but th- think about this. Normally, you would be right to worry about something clean making something dirty clean, right? My children come out from, from playing in the mud, and the, the house is, is pristine, and, and whenever a, a dirty shoe touches a clean floor, does which makes which, which? <laughs> Does a clean shoe make a does a dirty shoe make a clean floor dirty, or does a clean floor make a dirty shoe clean? It's a question that Haggai asks in Haggai chapter two. He says, Okay, if you have something clean, pure, richly pure, and it touches something that's defiled, which is gonna make which which? Is the clean thing gonna make this dirty thing holy, or is the dirty thing gonna make the holy thing unclean? The unclean thing is going to make the pure thing defiled. My, my child who's been sweaty and playing outside jumps onto my, my clean bed. What, what happens? The, the bed gets sweaty. So it's, it's right for us to think, okay, uh, you know, I'm sinful. How can, how can something clean cleanse me? There's a beautiful picture in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah comes before the Lord and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and and the cold touches his lips and he's cleansed. What is this? It's a picture of Christ. And so what do you see as you come to the New Testament? Now we've we've described these laws of holiness and we've talked about how easy it is to become unclean and how hard it is to stay ritually pure. And we've seen over and over again just the lack of cleanness among the people. You come to Matthew chapter 8. And here's this here's this beautiful picture that happens in Matthew chapter 8 a leper comes to Jesus he kneels before him he says lord if you will if you will you can make me clean so here's a man who is 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 richly and physically unclean and Jesus touches the leper and Jesus immediately becomes unclean right No right that's that's exactly right <laughs> That's exactly right what happens Jesus doesn't become unclean the leper gets healed That's the power of Jesus' holiness. How can sin be dealt with? I can't deal with it, you can't deal with it, but the blood of Jesus can. Jesus is pure and holy in such a way that we cannot even fathom it. And as we think about God's call on us in the coming weeks, we're going to encounter some things where we say, I am insufficient to live life this way, and that is exactly right. But the power of Christ in us cleanses us. The atonement, the forgiveness of sin that we experience in Jesus Christ is beyond what we can comprehend right now. In Christ, the pollution of sin is dealt with far more profoundly and thoroughly than we can even grasp at this moment in our lives. And here's the beautiful thing. Part of the Christian life, the process of sanctification is understanding God's work at defeating sin in my life as I continue to grow in him by his grace through faith in his son Jesus Christ my atoning sacrifice let's pray father we recognize your power at work within us this morning we pray by your grace you would change us you would continue to save us you would give us grace we pray this because we recognize that that you are a gracious God who, who saves all who call upon you in faith. And so we call upon you in faith this morning, asking you to continue to save us and deliver us from sin. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, our perfect sacrifice. Amen.